Have any of you thought about selling your firm? Or at least have you thought about what your firm is worth? And how much of us understand that we are so integral to our firm or know that we're not? That's what we're going to talk about today with Victoria Collier. She's going to talk about the biggest mistakes to avoid when considering selling your firm. And even for people who aren't interested in selling your firm, or at least not for who knows how long, there's going to be some amazing insight that she has to share on this topic and certainly things that you can set up on day one to have the most success when you get through that. So for those of you that don't know Victoria, she is a certified elder law attorney and also certified exit planning advisor. She successfully created her own law firm directly at a law school and then sold it 19 years later for six times her net profit. While helping seniors with their estate plans from 2008 and on, she coached other lawyers on how to create value in their firms, one of the things being by adding veterans benefits. She herself is a veteran. Based on her experience with owners of law firms, as well as her own experience selling law firms, she guides law firm owners in positioning their firm to sell instead of just closing the doors when the owner is ready to move on. And what I love most, like, look, there are plenty of business brokers and even some that focus on buying and selling of law firms, but Victoria's company is the only one that works with owners in advance of selling the firm to help build that value, to help make it turnkey, to help get everything lined up so that it is desirable to buy for top dollar. Thank you so much for being on today. Thanks, Jordan. And not, not in your bio, you're also writing a book. I know that. I am writing a book um, about buying and selling law firms and uh, really about focusing on being able to get to that next phase in your life, you know, being able to choose your next move, um, if you will. And so that's going to be the backdrop is having a business and selling that business so that you can then go on to the next thing. Right off into the sunset, like Shane, not like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> right. And, you know, what's interesting, Jordan, is that everyone thinks about retirement someday, but I'm 51 years old and I sold my firm when I was 50 and I'm nowhere near retirement, but I definitely was ready to sell my law firm. So I don't, you know, want people to believe that, you know, it's just in retirement that we need to think about these things. It's if you have a business, no matter at what stage or phase, you want to be thinking about this. I know it's funny. My, uh, my financial advisor, I'll give him a shout out. Rob Legenhausen and I have this conversation quite a bit where he's like, what is, I tell him like, I want to retire at 40. He's like, you're, you can't afford that. I was like, no, no, you don't understand. Like my concept of retirement is like 90% what I do now. Just like that little extra, you know, the little extra stress off my plate. So uh, I love that concept of, you know, we get attorneys working until they're older and older, but I think a lot of what you talk about helps them make that decision by choice, not being forced into hanging around. Exactly. All right. So we have www.victorywalkcoaching.com, uh, Twitter business page at Victory Walk, LinkedIn and Facebook will be Victory Walk Coaching or your personal page, Victoria L. Collier. And we've got Victoria Collier Coaching at gmail.com for anybody who's listening to this, anybody who's watching. You've got the much easier links at the bottom that Breezy is dropping now. And before we get into this, I want to talk about our prior episode last, earlier this week, not last week, on Monday, we had Nikosha Anderson on. Nikosha talked about how you embrace diversity to help grow your practice from a diversity of race, of gender, of background, of ethnicity, of mindset in so many different ways. And we talked about how that applies to hiring practices, dealing with clients, convincing a judge or jury of your point 
really growing your firm. It was a wonderful conversation. And I would highly suggest that when you're done hearing the amazing William wisdom from Victoria, you go and check out that previous episode. But enough about that. Here we are today to talk about the biggest mistakes to avoid when considering selling your firm. So how do you want to, I mean, we just want to go through the list. We want to start, you want to tell more about your story. What makes the most sense for you? I think, you know, um, people who resonate with this message may get to my story at some point and I'll weave it throughout here. But I think what people are tuning into is really to hear the mistakes. So um, let's just jump in with the first mistake. And that's, you know, thinking that you are the only value within the firm and therefore there is nothing to sell. Um, I hear that over and over and over again. And that can be true, but doesn't have to be true. And in fact, when we have thoughts of selling, we can actually shift that paradigm into creating real tangible assets that go beyond the attorney owner that people would want to buy that's desirable to another person. See, I have the opposite. I always tell people I'm the biggest detriment or burden on my firm, not the biggest asset. So, And, and, and for a real business, that's the way it should be, is the owner should be able to take themselves out of the business and it continues to operate and it continues to profit. And in fact, when I left my business, you know, on vacations or whatever, we always did better when I was gone than when I was there. Me, me uh, too. <laughs> so, yeah. But many um, firms don't operate that way. In fact, many firms, the only reason they want to get out of their law firm is because they're so overwhelmed. They're so burned out because they can't even take a weekend, much less a, a, a week of vacation. You know, they can't even stop working on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, they. Um, I was listening to a speech that John Morgan gave, and he said, I want to get the quote as close as I can. Uh, Graveyards are full of people that thought they were indispensable. Mm -hmm. And I just, it really sat with me in a sort of uplifting way, in a weird way. Like you just, you know, I guess we all have that limited time through. And the more that we are aggravated by the business that we've created, the less we're going to be able to enjoy that and whatever's left once we're done with the business. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it, it does help when you actually look at your life as far as, you know, how old am I? How many days have I lived on this earth? How many potential days do I have left? Am I doing what I want to be doing? And if, am I having the impact I want to be having? And if the answer is no, then how do we, how do we create that with where we are, for example, in our law firms, or how do we shift into that next phase? Um, to me, retirement is defined as just doing something different, <laughs> you know, than what I'm currently doing. Um, and I think that that's where the motivation can come from is really being truthful and reflective as to, am I doing what I want to do? And am I having the impact I want to have? Am I happy with that? And if not actually making real change instead of staying stuck, complaining, um, and feeling hopeless and just, you know, um, not making the change. I love it. So one of the first mistakes is thinking the owner is the only thing of value in the firm. Are there specific things in a firm that have value that we may not consider, or is it really just each firm is different? We have to look at that kind of overall picture. There are definitely um, very specific 
assets that can be built within a firm because what we're doing is we're building a business and we are treating it like a business and not like a law practice okay and what i mean by that is you know when we go to law school we learn how to be lawyers and sometimes we work for other people but sometimes we hang out our own shingle but the whole goal is to be a lawyer and help people um and when you look at any other business besides lawyers and doctors and uh, chiropractors you look at business systems and operations and businesses have at at least a few team members that help with the operations of it um and so yes there are things you can put in place so for example one of the assets that is uh can really increase the value of a business is just having a systematic marketing platform systematic marketing program uh, that we know with consistency and we know that because we're doing reports which is part of building value in your firm as well is having reports that with consistency we know we can project about x number of new clients per month because we have x leads coming in from this marketing system slash platform slash campaign that is running all the time a buyer would look at that and say oh they already have a marketing system that's working i don't have to come in and do the marketing right so that's one example of an asset that we can highlight when we are looking at the strengths of the business that is going to be offered for sale and Correct me if I'm wrong, or I guess, I don't, I don't know. Tell me, tell me where I'm off base on this. The system obviously needs to be somewhat successful, but if you've got the right process in place and maybe you weren't funding it correctly, that may be something that's easy for the buyer to go in and fix because they've got more capital. A, a sophisticated buyer or someone who has, you know, a representative to help them will look at definitely how much are you pumping into this and are you getting a return on investment okay and then of course as you know because you're the marketing expert is it the message um is it you know i mean is it you know the are we making the connection to the right people so there's lots of variables but i can say that from a sales perspective of a business having the system is immediately going to um, increase the value of the firm when the firm is positioned properly it will do nothing if a person just hires a listing agent and they're using what I call the historical income model. Um, and it doesn't matter what kind of assets you have within your firm that could be highlighted, that could increase the value of your firm by tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're using someone who is under the historical income model, uh, which I don't recommend. And one, thank you for the kind words. But two, or I guess N2, I think that kind of goes back to what you're talking about with the thinking the owner is the only value, because obviously like if you're a hundred percent referral based based off of the owner's connections, that's a lot harder to transfer than if you've got a great Google ad campaign running or a great, you know, Facebook marketing campaign or, you know, something that's not tied to a specific person. Right. It is harder to transfer. It's not impossible, but what a seller would expect in that situation is that the buyer is going to want a long transition period where the seller stays on board for that handoff referral connections and gotcha. sellers want out as soon as possible. And so then that then starts the negotiation is to price and 
uh, as some of my clients have said, um, uh, indentured servitude. So. Oh, geez. So what are, I know we talked about the marketing system. Are there, what other things are worth value in a law firm that we may not immediately think of? Team, team members. And um, why that is an asset to the firm and to the business is that many business owners, true business owners, people with business owner mindset, they are looking to buy an asset. An asset is defined in my world as property, business, real estate that creates income for you and not just any income, but passive income that's profitable. And so I'm an owner that wants to buy an asset that generates passive income to me. Passive means I don't have to go in there and be the lawyer. I don't have to go in there and you know, do the work in the production and draft documents or go to court or whatever. In the optimal case, the buyer can buy the business and it continues to operate at a profit without the owner doing anything other than holding the people there accountable, looking at the reports and steering the ship as a great leader would. Okay. Now, a lot of law firms are not that way. The one that I um, am working on that's closing today, um, it was that way. Um, and it, and I'll share with you the success of, you know, beginning to end, but that was the desirable aspect of it from the buyer is there was already a management team and a production team and uh you know all of the components that this buyer could get a profit from and do very little other than manage processes and systems and that's what i want to share is that sole practitioners they don't like to hear higher team they don't like to think about, oh, my God, you know, I mean, I'm a sole proprietor and they wear it like a badge and it's OK, but then it hinders us from selling a business, OK, because it's not a business. Um, it's a job that you own um, and nobody wants that job. Right. They want a business. Um, and so we have to shift our mindset to say employees are not liabilities. Employees are assets if we invest in them and when we invest in them that means that we expect that they are creating passive income to us and so our employees are assets because we invest in them with both salary and time of training but then they are giving us three to five or more percent return on investment which means that they are a passive asset passive income and an asset and that's an asset a buyer wants to buy. I kid you not. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have a Facebook message or LinkedIn message thread almost verbatim what you talked about, that difference between a business and a job with that sole proprietorship. So really, yes, it helps me know I'm right about some things, not everything, <laughs> but some things. Um, and then obviously value. So prior client base might be worth value. A, a logo or brand might be worth something. I mean, what? You know, um, a logo, brand, it depends if it, it depends on who the buyer is. And that's the other mistake is thinking that, first of all, there are no buyers. Nobody wants to buy a firm. Well, that's just absolutely wrong. Um, there are a lot of buyers, but they're not all the same. It's not one shirt fits all. And so it's understanding what do I have? 
what type of buyer would be interested in what I have. And so you've got some buyers that are just interested in your prior client database. If you've been practicing for 30, 40 years, you have some buyers that want the turnkey office that they can just profit from and not have to do anything but manage policies and procedures and systems. You've got some buyers that um, already have their own law firm, and this is a way for them to scale um, and feel bigger and be bigger and get a larger um, market share. And so, um, so, you know, the logo and things like that, it just depends on what kind of buyer we're looking for. Now, if you've got something special like this really cool name and um, and there's a buyer that, you know, and, and you get lots of, you know, business because of that, there may be a buyer that wants to buy that just so none of his competitors will buy it, right? Even if he doesn't intend to use it himself, he doesn't want anyone else to use it. That's valuable to him. Now, it's not like buying a whole law firm. It wouldn't bring the same value as you know, somebody who has a turnkey, but we cannot create stories for what someone else is interested in. What we can do as a seller is really put a list and a great showing of what we do have, where our strengths are, what our assets are, and then try to find the right type of buyer based on the positioning that we are doing. That's so interesting. You know, my dad always hammered me on something's only worth what somebody else will pay for it. But I love that you're talking about like there is that actual little bit of control to look for what your value truly is to find the person that values what valuable thing you've got, I guess. Mm -hmm. right. There's a match for everybody, right? That's another cliche is, you know, there's there's a match for everybody. We just have to be open to either receiving them when they show up or finding them. And that's what I did with this firm that we're closing on today is we put together our pitch deck. Um, and then I hand, you know, I, I tapped on the shoulder a handful of people specifically that we thought would be good matches. And one of them was a great match. Awesome. That's so wonderful. Like you, you literally brokered the sale of that business mm -hmm. in every semblance of it. So, all right, we got um, thinking the owner's the only valuable thing, thinking that there aren't any buyers. What are some of the other biggest mistakes that you see? <laughs> the opposite side of thinking, you know, that your business isn't worth anything is thinking your business is worth a billion dollars because of all the time and tears and years you've put your passion into it and thinking that everybody values it in the same way you do. And then being unrealistic as to that, and that's going to kill a deal. What... Can you walk me through that a little bit more? I mean, like, obviously I can see the, I get it, you know, having put in the, the 80, hundred hour weeks for so long, but like, how do you see that play out in the, in the sales side? It's just completely, the seller gets completely disinterested in the offers or they're unwilling to listen to you in valuation or both. So how that would play out is, for example, let's take um, a real life situation where this um, law firm owner was a essentially a sole practitioner, um, had one assistant, had some good systems, you know, so, you know, you could easily pull up how many cases per year, who the referral sources were, you know, things like that. Um, had a newsletter that went out regularly. So, you know, was somewhat touching their clients, but not a whole lot, right? Um, and 
most of their client base was, was returning clients. Okay. Now have been practicing 30 plus years, uh, was making about $250,000 every year for like the past 10 years, never an increase, but not so much a decrease either. Um, and so was ready to retire and wanted to, uh, make off the sale about $175,000 net was closer to about a hundred. Okay. And so when looking at that, a buyer's going to be like, okay, well, how, you know, first of all, so you've got a list of these buy these, these customers, um, but are they cold or are they hot? You know, when was the last time? How do you stay in relationship with them? Right. And if they're, and so in this case, it was really cold, even though they sporadically sent out a newsletter, you know, we don't know if they were reading it, looking at it or whatever. So, you know, we get a lot of clients that uh, were prior clients that are coming back. So then you have to ask the question, well, are there any other services for the ones who haven't come back actually to do, you know, in your line of business? So for example, like a family law firm, you know, I mean, you've just got to hope that they're going to get married and divorced again, right? <laughs> and so you can't predict that they're going to come back within reason, right? Unlike estate planning or real estate, you know, if people are buying and selling, uh, if they're like investment real estate people, you can bet that they're going to come back, right? Um, estate planning, unless they've done the Cadillac plan from the beginning, there's likely more things to sell to them. So you would look at that. And so this person's list, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for more sales other than if someone died and they were coming back for probate. Okay. Um, and then you looked at, you know, okay, so who's doing the sales, the lawyer, who's doing the marketing, the lawyer, who, which was referral network plus clients, um, who's doing the drafting, the lawyer. And so when you bring it down is like, okay, so, you know, you've got some good net, but I'm going to have to come in there and really do some work. That's a great, that's actually a great business for a brand new lawyer who wants a database that's already there, right? And yet a brand new lawyer is probably not going to be able to spend $175,000 or right. think that they can. See, that's one of the biggest mistakes too. Uh, From a seller's perspective is thinking no one can afford it because no one has money just to put up. I hear this all the time. I'd like to sell it to my associate, but he doesn't have the money. Well, have you not been compensating him long enough, you know, or well enough? Um, or are they wasting all their money or, and I get it, you know, I mean, you don't just stockpile with the idea that you're going to buy this firm. But what I do know is the SBA is going to give a business loans to buy law firms. The question is the appraisal. And so in this case, when I'm talking about this 30 year law firm, really the only thing she had was reputation and a very cold list of prior clients. Okay. Um, and so would it appraise at the 175,000? And the answer was not in her situation. And she wasn't willing to budge because she's like, I don't have to retire. I want to retire, but I don't have to. I'm just going to keep working for a while because she actually continued to need an income stream. Um, and so not getting what she needed was going to affect her future. And so she wasn't ready to sell. And the other big mistake that's tied in that is thinking, I'm emotionally ready, but they haven't actually done a real look at what finances do you need? Just like you talked about with your financial advisor in the beginning, he's saying you can't afford it. Well, 
maybe you can, maybe you can't, but it all comes down to, you know, do you, what do you need to get out of this firm? Can you get that? And what are your resources otherwise? And so I'm a big advocate. You've heard me say from the beginning, passive income, you know, creating assets with passive income. One of the assets of a law firm is your net income. And what do lawyers do? We do one of a few things. One is we put it back below it all. <laughs> That's one of them. It's lifestyle, right? Oh, I'm a lawyer. I need to be on that yacht and I need to drive the BMW and I need to, you know, look good in front of my friends and clients. And we do blow it all. You know, I mean, being in estate planning for 19 years, uh, estate planning lawyer, the doctors and the lawyers were the people who left the least when they were dying. Um, mm. And it was a big wake up call for me, you know, because I was a lawyer. And uh, <laughs> so and I was like, why is that? It's the lifestyle business of the professional. Uh, and it's really the mindset. But that's one of the things. The other is that we reinvest it in our businesses, right? It's always that, you know, next marketing thing or it's that next, um, you know, whatever is going to get me that client um, without actually paying attention to the numbers on return. So they're just throwing darts in the dark instead of doing it in a business manner and systematizing it. But let's say we, and then the third thing people do is they sock it away into their retirement, right? Into their retirement. And they rely on 401ks or, um, you know, things like that, that's going to take care of them in the future, which it may or it may not, depending on how it's invested. But one of the things that when I get to work with people early enough is treating the profit as an asset. And what is an asset? It's creating passive income. Well, profit itself is not passive income. You worked really hard for that, right? So how can then we put that into something else that creates that passive income? When we can do that as law firm owners before we sell our business, then we are creating that other income stream from some other source or sources, and it helps us be able to walk away from our law firm. There's no way I could have sold my law firm in 2020 at the age of 50 if I didn't already have three other income streams coming in. I couldn't have done it because I was going to be focusing my time, energy, and money on a farm that wasn't going to produce income for me for at least one to two years. So if I was going to live the lifestyle I needed and continue to provide for my family, because I'm the sole breadwinner of, you know, a married family with kids, I needed to make sure I had passive income coming in otherwise. And that's part of being a business owner that's running a business that understands that business can operate without you. And then it gives you, Jordan, more choices, because if you can get to that stage, then you may not even want to sell your business, your law firm. You may just want to operate and manage the processes and systems uh, and let that income keep coming in while you then go do that next thing, right? And so along those lines, that passive income, I just want to make sure that I'm on the right page here. Mm -hmm. So let's say just for our purposes, you've got a law firm making a million dollars a year and they're spending $800,000 of that and the attorney and the owner who's the attorney is also doing a lot of the legal work. That's not having $200,000 in passive income because the attorney is doing a lot of the work. But if you take a hundred thousand of that, you hire an attorney to take over the work that the owner is doing. Now you're only making a hundred thousand, but now you have it as passive income. That's the difference between profit and 
revenue or I don't Right. So let's, let's, let me clarify that a little bit. Let's say you yeah. have someone at a hundred. So let's say you've got $200,000, but you're the one doing the work to generate that 200,000. And then you hire someone else at a hundred thousand and you stop doing all that work. Assuming that you're still getting 200,000, then yes, it's that hundred thousand that's now passive okay. income for you to invest in any way you want to either back in your firm or, you know, your lifestyle or into a second asset that's producing passive income. I would say though, that, you know, you should be making more than one time off of, uh, or two times off of whatever employee you're hiring, but yes. <laughs> so. Right. No, I just, I mean, from the yes, standpoint for, of, yeah. just, uh, but yes, a clean example to get the, the information, right. Right. But you could take it even further and just say, look, I am going to participate in the firm. Right. Um, and I am going to generate some of that revenue. But if I'm bringing home four hundred thousand dollars, that's my net. That's my that's my my salary plus the my draw at the end of the year. That's what my net profit says on my P&L. Who's to say that I can't take some of that and invest it in passive income, even though it's active right now, it can become passive. So I know this is a little bit different than our conversation, but I think it's worth touching on because we talked about passive income so much. Is there are there specific things that make the most sense for lawyers to invest in that way, or is there or is there a methodology to figure out what makes the most sense to create that passive income, or is it really so unique? It's very personalized. Okay. You know? So I mean, uh, a great financial advisor or wealth advisor or legacy planner you know, would say, you know, you need to diversify and get in some real estate, get in some, you know, stocks and bonds, get into businesses, buy other businesses, buy notes. Um, so there's a whole lot of things. It comes down to personality and what your uh, comfort level is and what you want to do. Okay. So then like for me, I'm, I'm very partial to real estate and businesses. I don't want to invest in the stock market, not because I don't like it and I don't believe in it. Um, I just don't know enough about it. And so, you know, just like if I were to go practice another type of law, I would suck at it and I would not do well. Um, so, you know, I tend to stick with things that interest me that I'm willing to learn and do well at. And so that would be different for everybody. Makes total sense. All right. So in terms of the biggest mistakes to avoid when considering selling your firm, are there any other mistakes that we want to make sure that we cover? Um, yeah, there's a huge mistake. And okay. that's not knowing the difference between an asset sale and a stock sale of your business. Ooh. There's a lot of benefits and consequences to either way. And from a, first of all, sole proprietors who use their social security number as their business number, that's a big mistake um, because it's not a business, it's you, okay? Um, and you have no stock to sell and owners benefit more by having a stock sale than an asset sale. Buyers want an asset sale uh, to cut off liability and things like that. But the mistake is not knowing the difference. And I literally was working with a client who was a buyer and we were buying a sole proprietorship who was using social security number as the tax ID and got in a huge disagreement with the non-business lawyer um, spouse who was basically saying, 
you're buying the whole thing. Therefore it's like a stock sale. I'm like, but there is no stock first of all. And my client's not going to do a stock sale in, in philosophy or reality. Um, it's an asset sale. And where the struggle came was that, um, this other person could not be enlightened as to the true difference because he believed that just because we're buying the whole thing, it meant stock. But then when you say that, then he's like, well, there is no stock because it's sole proprietorship and it's sole security. And I can't even, we don't have enough time Jordan, to talk about all the issues there, but I can say it almost killed the deal. Um, and uh, we had to get a third party more aligned in demographics with the uh with the obstinate one um so that the deal can move forward um and so not knowing and and not being open to actually listening to a specialty outside your own because we're all lawyers we're all smart we got here because we're smart but that doesn't mean that we're specialists in selling and buying firms and it's not the same thing as traditional just regular business law it's very specific so the difference between in, in a in a 30 second or less the difference between a stock sale and an asset sale would govern if you're buying everything inside the business or if you're buying the business itself so or the entity itself so when you are doing a stock sale you're buying the entity so you're buying the name you're buying the website you're buying the tax returns you know so you know like when i sold my business i had a stock sale the new owner still files taxes under my tax ID number that I had for that business. Um, and you know, all of that an asset sale. And also she can carry on with the same, uh, liability insurance that I had. Right. And it's still protecting the firm and all the clients we ever had and all of that. And I'm now not part of that at all. I'm relieved of all of that liability. Okay. That's why you can stand so tall. That's right. <laughs> the asset sale from a buyer's perspective, you want an asset sale in most cases. And that's because you're not buying the entity. You're buying the tangible assets and the goodwill. Okay. And so the seller still has to keep their own, what's called tail insurance to cover anything that they did as a lawyer, you know, for certain years, because you're just buying the assets. Um, the list of clients, there's no guarantee that they're going to come to you and, and you've got to do very particular things to even advise them of the option to come to you. You're buying the systems, the people, you know, meaning the team, you're buying maybe the website and the phone number, but you're not buying the entity itself. Gotcha. Um, and so, and there's also tax benefits and consequences either way you go. Um, but that's part of the consideration. Sounds like a great opportunity to contact you or a business attorney or somebody else and really have them look at the difference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So anything, any other mistakes you want to make sure we cover? I've got a couple other questions, but I want to stay stuck on that before I expand out. Um, you know, as you touched on in the very beginning, um, you know, using a listing agent versus someone who's going to help you position the firm for sale um, is gets different results. And the best example that's in the real world that I can share that people can visualize is when you sell a house, you can use an agent that just comes in and says, yep, I can sell this. And, you know, based on comps, this is what I think that you, we should list it at. 
and throws up a website with some pictures and that's it. Second tier is you've got an agent that comes in and says, well, let me walk through the house and give you some suggestions as to what to do so it'll show better. So clean up this closet, you know, maybe you, you know, want to vacuum your floors, uh, maybe even rehab your kitchen and bathrooms because that's where the value is, okay? Then you've got the next layer, which is, okay, I'm going to walk through, I'm going to give you that advice, but we are going to stage this house for you because all the data shows that when you stage a house, it sells faster and for more money because people can imagine themselves there. Okay. And that's the level that I work with clients is that we stage the business. And I don't mean physically we stage people in there. What I mean is when we put our pitch deck together, it is a pitch deck that people want to buy that business, right? Because we've done the work in advance. Um, and that's the thing is we've got to do stuff in advance. I love that. All right. So we're talking about these mistakes. And when it comes to selling the firm, we're talking about the asset sale, the stock sale, we're talking about the things that a business owner should do differently. So if we, if, if we are the firm owner listening to this right now, who is 99% not ready to sell yet, but they've got a little bit of extra time every week that they can put towards lining these things up what would be the takeaways that they should stop doing or start doing today to make it as easy as possible in 10, 20 years, whatever it is to contact you about selling the firm? The easiest thing to say and the most important to do, but also the hardest to do is shift your mindset from lawyer to CEO mm. and start operating as a business owner, CEO versus an entrepreneur, lawyer, who thinks you own a business and any insight on how somebody helps make that switch? Because mm -hmm. I know I went through it and I really, I had to make a, a crap ton of mistakes to force yeah. myself to make that switch. So the biggest switch is making first and foremost, a commitment to work on your business instead of in the business. And while you may still be the lawyer, you may still be the salesperson, you may still be the technician, you still have to carve out that time, make the commitment to carve out that time and actually put in a business plan, actually create a budget, um, put in a marketing plan. And those three things together operate to then take a business towards a vision, have a vision, have a goal that we're operating towards, and then visit those three tools with your vision and update them and change them. But really the shift Jordan is making the commitment to sit down and actually work on the business instead of avoiding it and hiding from it by working inside the business. So business plan, budget, marketing plan. Right. All right. Breezy. I think let's, let's pull that for our uh, post pull away from this. So we're going to cut this up in a bunch of clips and we're trying to get some that are not just video clips, more assets. And I think that's the great thing for us to do. And we can break down that. And obviously we'll, we'll loop you in for some more info on that. Um, okay. So let's talk about anything else before we get, as we get towards the end here. I would just say, you know, the biggest, um, I'd say takeaways, you know, waiting until you're ready to sell is, is too late. Mm -hmm. That's like trying to write a will after you died. Okay. And so the process of selling 
can go so much faster and sweeter and profitable when you've done the planning upfront, when you've done the planning sooner than when you're already burned out and exhausted. And, you know, you'll hear statistics that first of all, not very many businesses sell, they just close, but of right. those that sell can take three plus years. They don't have to, they're not prepared. Um, three and three years to sell? To actually sell once it's listed. Wow. Right. Okay. And so the example I have, you know, my most recent is that, you know, my client hired me on February 26th of this year. We had a letter of intent signed by both parties of on July 25th of the same year. So just five months later, and we are closing today, which is two months later. That's seven months because she was positioned properly to sell and she had done the work in advance not you know where she had been there for 30 years and said oh i'm exhausted just find me a buyer you know and then not willing to put anything in place love it all right so uh, i want to talk about our next episode and then we'll come back for the final takeaway sure. so coming up on monday october 4th at 3 30 so two hours later than you watch this episode live uh on monday october 4th we have a jennifer gilman on Jennifer works with law firm with certain say law firms with lawyers to find the right firm that fits them. So she's going to talk to us about one size does not fit all finding the best firm for you. So what that looks like, what that takes and how you can find that firm that you can go to and be happy without any strings attached. Um, those of you that know how much I pride myself on happiness and try to push other lawyers to find their own happiness. I am very excited to hear what Jennifer has to share. But Victoria, I'm not going to let you go yet because I want that biggest takeaway. As somebody that ran a successful firm, sold a successful firm, helped other firms do it, I think you've got the exact right experience to share with a lot of our listener watchers who may be that new firm owner or that attorney newly in the role of CEO, making that mindset switch, trying to brand themselves. So what would be your biggest piece of advice if they've been listening for 45 minutes and remember nothing except for this? What do they need to know from you to be the exhibit A of a successful lawyer as well? I would say the biggest piece of advice is to really think about as a lawyer and the type of work they do, what is their perfect client? And when that client comes in and then that client walks away and does not hire them, what must they be thinking and feeling and going through to have not done that? not taking that next step to engage in what's going to make them happy. They feel hopeless. They feel like nothing can make them happy and therefore they just go away. That's what so many lawyers get to that place. And that's why I want them to visualize something that they're familiar with already and right. how they help someone cross that bridge. Because if you get to that place, know that there is hope, there is a path, and the reason you can't see it right now is because you are in your despair. Um, and once you can see some options, your creativity, your energy, and your passion becomes alive again. And so my takeaway is don't just give up and close the doors. See what's possible so that you can live a better life. It's my personal mission. It has always been my personal mission, no matter what I've done is to help people live a higher quality of life without pain. And people are in pain in their law firms and they can get out or they can make it better within, but don't just sit there or close the doors. Love it. I talk about ideal clients all the time and I love how you took that and allowed the 
attorney firm owner to take that experience and switch it into what they need to sell their firm. So thank you so much thank for you. listening to this. I know you're in our Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers Facebook group. So that's how we're closing out the episode. Anybody's got more questions for Victoria, you can go ahead and join us there in that Facebook group, Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers, totally free. We get a lot of good conversations. The majority of our guests there, we do some events only in that group. So if you've listened this long, clearly you like something about us. So go ahead and get a little bit more engagement over there. And thank you for joining us today, Victoria. Thank you so much, Jordan. Appreciate it. It's fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.